just to review from the first, our, our working definition of joy. I'm just gonna, I'm just take us there just for one moment. Um, we define joy as the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. It is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And joy is the determined choice to praise God in all circumstances. So we talked about that conviction about God, the conviction that we have, the thoughts, what we think about God, the confidence, our faith in God, and our choice, our action to praise God. So I'm just gonna take a, a step out of Esther just for now. We will come back to her and we're leaving her there with if I perish, I perish. It's a great dramatic climax, right? Okay, we're gonna get back to her in the third session. But I just wanna take some time here to talk about the character of God and how we have to be anchored in the character of God. That is what joy is, being anchored in the character of God. Now, just as we say, right, that we only can love, why? Because God is love, right? He loved us first. Joy I'm sorry, love has its source in God. Christian love, agape love, has its source in God because God is love. Well, I would put towards you that joy has its source in God because God is also joy. See, all those fruits of the Spirit reveal God, his character, and God is joy. In 1 Chronicles 16, 27, it says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. So where he is found, so is joy. Psalm 16, 11 says, You make known to me the paths of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and pleasures are at your right hand forevermore. In Psalm 43, 4, the psalmist says, then I will go to the altar of God, that presence of God, right? To God, who is my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. See, God is a joyful God. In Job 28, 7, describing the creation, it says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, God took great joy in creation, there was joy, there was singing, there was praise in the presence of God and his angels at the creation of mankind. Zephaniah 3.17 says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take great delight in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm all your fears. He, the Lord God, will rejoice over you with joyful songs. We come in praising him with joyful songs. The Bible tells us he, pray, he sings over us. That's, that's mind-boggling, isn't it? Did you ever have anybody write you a song? I haven't. <laughs> but anyone who has, that must be awesome, right? Someone wrote you a song about you. God sings over us. He sings over us. How beautiful. And because the Father is joy, Jesus is joy. Jesus came to earth in Hebrews 1.3. It says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Remember when Philip said to Jesus in the upper room, Jesus, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. And Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long and you don't know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So what was Jesus like? I believe that Jesus was very joyful. I believe Jesus walked around with joy 
evident joy. Now, I know the scripture from Isaiah that says he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief and absolutely in the, in the betrayal and the crucifixion. But think about what you know from the gospels about Jesus. Even though Jesus knew more than anyone, more than we even know, the deepest sorrows of this fallen world because he sees every sin, he sees every abuse, he sees every rape, he sees every murder, he knows. But yet... Joy marked Jesus' ministry. His birth was announced with great joy. Look at the Christmas account we'll be, right? Celebrating that soon. Luke 10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of, what? Great joy that will be for all people. The shepherds rejoiced. The wise men rejoiced. Simeon and Anna rejoiced. There was great joy at the birth of Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, I say these things, these things I've spoken unto you, that my joy, if he had no joy, they would be like, what are you talking about, right? My joy, the joy that you remark on, the joy that you notice may be in you and that your joy may be full. And he said that in the context of the Father's love. He was also saying at that time, he's praying for them that they, like Amanda talked about last night, that they would know the Father's love, that as the Father has loved him, so he had loved them. He spoke this all in the context of that. You know, in this studying, I was reading a book on joy, and the person, the author had said, sit down and think about or make a list of people that you generally think are joyful people. Like they're joyful. Not that they're giddy or, but they're like, you think of this person as a joy, joyful person. And, um, and, and even when they're going through difficult times, you just sense that there's this joy in their heart, that they're able to rejoice even in affliction. And, and definitely people came to mind. I mean, we have some beautiful saints. Recently, a sweet sister in the Lord who's been in our church forever. In fact, I remember when they first came to our church, uh, Paul and Darlene Sweeney. She's from California. I don't know. California people seem especially nice to me as a New Yorker. <laughs> I remember watching a funny episode of um, Seinfeld, that comedians and cars getting coffee. It's funny. And he was driving in down one of the beach areas down there in Long Branch or something in California. And he had another guy in the car, and he goes, look at these people smiling. This annoys me. <laughs> like the New Yorker in him was like, what are they so happy about, you know? This offends me, you know? But I mean, I kind of get that sometimes, right? So, you know, these people came into our church, and I was like, wow, like they're super sweet. Like, are they even real, you know? And um, they came, and we were a little church. We were church planting, I told you about. We were on, on Saturday nights for about two and a half years. We had to put out the, you know, the chairs and all of that, uh, put out the room divider to put out the, the little nursery and afraid the room divider would fall on the kids and all that kind of stuff, you know? Church in a box, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, <laughs> and they come in and they're like, wow, we love it here, you know? And they were coming from a really, like they were leaders in their other church. I'm like, are they for real? Like they're staying? Like I couldn't believe it. And, 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 and Bobby couldn't either. We're, we're like, wow, we're getting really legit. Like the Sweeney's are coming. Like I made no church, you know? And they're actually deciding you know, to stay with us. Wow. And they are just so filled with the joy of the Lord. And so, but I've seen them go through some really tough times, 
really tough stuff. And this is now 20 some odd years later and they've raised their kids who were prodigals and doing all kinds of naughty things and then gone through some major stuff the last two years. They, she had um, a tumor in her brain that had to be taken out. Prior to that, she couldn't barely stand up. She's six foot tall, so the poor thing. She was, you know. And then her husband had a stroke and was left with all this weakness on one side, so they're kind of hanging on to each other. Their daughter-in-law had just out of the blue, this real rare thing, just her kidneys stopped working. Both of the kidneys just shut down, you know. She's the mother of two kids, homeschooling mom, one of our youth, young adult leaders, had to have a kidney transplant and got one, thank God, after a year. Um, so in the midst of just kind of coming up out of that, she gets a call that her sister, Crystal, and her husband were killed in a head-on collision in Australia. So they got on a plane and went out there to Crystal's three adult children and their grandchildren to go comfort them. Here they are recuperating themselves. They land in Australia and she opens her cell phone and gets a call from her other sister that her mom had just passed away when they were in the air. So this is the kind of year they've had. I went over when they got back from Australia to go comfort them and they ended up blessing me. I got there and they were like, oh, God is so good, Liz. Oh, the Lord did this and the Lord did that. And they were smiling and just filled with, it was a supernatural joy of the Lord. I felt so encouraged after leaving. So there are people in my life, absolutely, but I have to be honest. And this isn't to toot his horn or because maybe he'll listen to this, maybe. You know. My husband, Bobby, is a man of joy. He really is. He is, has a lot of joy in the Lord. It was one of the things that I really was drawn to him. I just loved it when he was around, you know, at our youth group. Um, I was telling someone the other day, I was like a rocker chick. You know, I always wanted to date guys with hair longer than me, you know, and the beater cars. I didn't like the guys with the nice cars, you know, the beater cars, you know, the rockers. And, and Bobby was like the boy next door jock, you know football player, all-American, you know, and I was, eh, you know, but I, <laughs> when I first, you know, that was not my taste at the time, at 19, but, but man, this guy had so much joy. Every time I was around him, I found myself smiling, laughing. It wasn't just me, it was other people. He'd come in, he was always like, kind of jump into the youth group, then he'd disappear. We'd all go, where'd he go, you know, and he just always had us laughing, and I needed that. God knew I knew that so bad. I came from an alcoholic background, uh, domestic abuse. The cops were always at our house and my father was a cop so that tells you something the neighbors would call on us because it was so loud and so destructive divorce you know all kinds of things like that and I was super intense I was a type a I got to get away from these crazy maniacs that I call my family I've got to like get the scholarships get the good job get the money and get out of here and so I had this real intense kind of serious personality and I God knew I needed joy I need to be able to laugh at myself right? And be a little silly and goofy. And Bobby's kind of silly and goofy. So, and people are flock to, to Bob because he's joyful. We, we'll be at a, a public pool and kids that we don't even know will come over and dump buckets of water over his head. They feel like they can. They're like, here's a guy we can play. Here's the water. Yeah. It's like, they just get it. Like they get it. You know, kids are great barometers of joy, aren't they? They are. And children love Jesus. They flock to Jesus. You know, we years ago, when my kids were smaller and middle, well, a lot smaller, they're in middle school, and uh, we came down to Florida. My mom used to live in Cocoa Beach for a while. 
with the, her second husband. And um, so we came down and uh, we ended up going to the Holy Land experience. I brought my three girls at the time and my, my friend Yolanda, who's also from Cuba, and I know many of you are, are, are uh, Cuban descent. She was down visiting family with me you know, coming down to Miami, she came down here to visit her aunt and uncle. And then, but during that time, we took her son and my kids over to the Holy Land in, in Orlando. And um, at one point, have you been there? How many have been there? Okay, so a lot of you. So you know when Jesus comes through the town? Like he, the, him and his disciples kind of show up in, in, in the area or whatever where you are. And um, they're kind of acting out something. My kids like bolted from my side in the midst of this crowd and ran for Jesus. It was like, we couldn't, we were, whoa, whoa, where'd they go? So their heads flying. They couldn't, they just, I believe that's really what happened during Jesus's time. The babies and the children just ran. There was something about him that just drew, I think it was his joy, his presence. Um, people like Zacchaeus, a, a rich man who usually rich people in nice clothes, they don't climb trees to get a look at someone. They certainly don't climb a tree to look at someone who's kind of a downer, right? I mean, do you? I mean, <laughs> would you? I don't know. <laughs> if I'm going to climb a tree, it's got to be something like worth looking at, right? Jesus, I believe he came with great joy. Let's be honest. Even the fact that people approach Jesus with their problems. Like I said, I grew up 20 minutes outside of Manhattan, spent a lot of time down there when I was a kid and, and a student and things like that when I was in college. And even now, over the years, of course, we bring everybody who comes to New York into Manhattan because that's where they want to see. And I've been down there lots and lots of times. I've never worked in Manhattan. So when I'm down there, it's usually I'm having a good time, right? I'm with people. I'm smiling. I'm laughing. I'm taking my time. I'm not trying to, you know, run anybody over. And I get asked for directions all the time. I get stopped all the time. And the, the big secret is no one knows where they are in Manhattan. No one knows where they're going. They know where they're going. They have absolutely no idea how to get you where you're going because you just, you know where you need to go. But they come, where's Central Park? Where's this? You know, I'm like, okay, let's try to figure it out together. You know, and, and we sit there, we try to figure out the grid and all that. But they usually will approach people like myself or uh, people that are there that look like they're kind of like smiling. Do you go up to the worst looking person at the store? The one that looks like he's having the worst day of their life and ask, that's the person I want to ask directions from, right? No, you, you go up to people like who look like, okay, they might actually talk to me, right? So I believe that's why Jesus was approached even. He had an approachability about him, which I believe is part of a joyful attitude. Jesus used hyperbole in his teaching. You know, we read it kind of rote, I think there was a lot of chuckles in the crowd, just as like any speaker wants to engage with the audience and have a smile as we learn stuff, right? Jesus said things like, through the cam camel through an eye of a needle. I think they all burst out laughing and said, huh? How is that, how is that even possible? Like they, they, they weren't, they, we say, how is it even possible for that to happen? That's the way we read it. I think they were like started laughing and go, Jesus, then who can be saved? That's ridiculous, that could never happen. When he said, hey, when your kids ask you for fish, do you give them a snake? I think they were like, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. You know? I mean, right? I think there was like a, a, a joy in his teaching. He wanted to elicit a response. Get the speck, that little tiny speck of dust out of your eye before you get the telephone pole out of your own eye. You know, things like that. He used hyperbole, he used humor in the way he spoke. He wasn't somber or unapproachable. Yes, Jesus knew suffering, absolutely. He knew about sin, he knew about hypocrisy. He knew about his destination, or where he was headed. I love this quote. Jesus knew that for him to fulfill his God-given role here on earth, he would have to experience abandonment, betrayal, torture, and death. Yet knowing full well what was ahead of him, 
He chose to laugh, to tell jokes, to roll around on the ground with kids, to build rich relationships, to have meaningful work, and to experience joy. You know, I was reading recently the feeding of the 5,000, and, 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 and the Lord used it. He spoke to me in it because I kept thinking, what am I going to say down in Miami? What am I going to say down in Miami? What am I going to say? And it, he brought me that. He said, that's like the disciples saying, this is too big a twelve order for us, Lord. There's 5,000 people that need to be fed here. Like, send them away. Get them out of here. And could you just see when Jesus says, you give them something to eat? Don't you think he said that with a glint in his eye? Like, you guys figure it out. Yeah, do that. Uh-huh. I'm going to watch. You guys figure out how to feed this 5,000 people, you know? And I feel like he kind of said that to me. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You go ahead, Liz. You feed them. Let's see how that goes. Why don't you ask me if I can feed them? See, I believe he used humor in that way. And he said, what do you got? And he go, I got a couple of sardines. I got a couple of crackers. Give them here. I got a glass of water. Give it here. Jesus had joy. He had joy. Jesus is known by others at his time in the J.B. Phillips translation of, um, of uh, Luke 7. He was by his critics. He was known as a man because they were saying, what's the difference between your disciples and those of John the Baptist? And he said, what can I say that the men of this generation are like? What sort of men are they? They were like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played at weddings for you, but you wouldn't dance. We played at funerals for you, and you wouldn't cry. For John the Baptist came in the strictest austerity, and you say he's crazy. Then the Son of Man came enjoying life. And you say, look, a drunkard and a glutton, a bosom friend of the tax collector and the outsider. Ah, well, wisdom's reputation is entirely in the hands of her children. See, Jesus said, you say I'm enjoying my life, and you criticize me for it, for having fellowship, for having a laugh, for being friendly to people that no one else wants to be a friend with. He was social. He enjoyed interacting with others. The Bible is a book, so we know Jesus, we know God is a God of joy, we know that Jesus had joy in his life and for the joy set before him endured the cross. We know the book is a, the Bible is a book filled with joy. If you do a, I did a concordance search for the words joy, gladness, and rejoicing in the New King James Version. 235 matches. I did a Google search on sorrow, sadness, and just for good measure, I threw in gloom. 73. 73 references to sadness, gloom, and sorrow and 235 matches about joy. Would believers know that by looking at our life? That we serve a God of joy? That we read a book that is filled with joy? That Jesus was a man of joy? And that the Holy Spirit gives joy? We're told in Philippians 2 that we're to shine as lights in the midst of a dark world without complaining and grumbling, shining with joy, Romans 14.7 says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So what's the rub? What's the problem? Unfortunately, girls, Christians, we've gotten a bad rap, I think, somewhat, for not being always so joyful. Kind of maybe being angry and sullen and intense and... You know, Hannah Woodall Smith, I would recommend her writing. She wrote, like, I think 100 years ago. I mean, it's old. I like old stuff. But she writes, I swear, you would think she wrote this last week. It's so apropos. And one of her books is called The God of All Comfort. 
And she wrote this, I was once talking on the subject of religion with an intelligent agnostic whom I very much wished to influence. And after listening to me politely for a little while, he said, well, madam, all I have to say is this. If you Christians want to make us agnostics inclined to look into your religion, you must try to be more comfortable in the possession of it yourselves. The Christians I meet seem to be the very most uncomfortable people anywhere around. They seem to carry their religion as a man carries a headache. He does not want to get rid of his head, but at the same time is very uncomfortable to have it, and I, for one, do not care for that sort of religion. She said, this is a lesson I never forgot. She says, I was a new believer at the time. I couldn't imagine. I was in the first flush of joy, but she found this oftentimes in our religious life. We become full of discomfort and unrest, and then we start to just have just enough religion to make us miserable. And I thought, wow, that's convicting. Because sometimes the world sees us like that, girls. So what's the problem? What are the stumbling blocks? Well, I want to look at a few. The first I want to say is unbelief. A lack of, um, just a, a, an unbelief. Hannah wrote about this as well, and I thought it was really interesting the way she wrote it, because again, this feels so modern to me, the way she writes. She says, we know what over-advertisement is, and we certainly do in our era. I mean, that they knew about it 100 years ago, and they just had print ads, you know, like for soap powder or seeds or something, you know. We have Pinterest, man, you know. We <laughs> we've got the internet, we've got Facebook, we've got everybody's Instagram, filtered, beautiful stories. We know what over-advertisement is. It is a 20th century disease from which we all suffer. There are posters on every billboard, exaggerations on every blank wall, representations and misrepresentations without number. And she says, there's a feeling abroad that Christ has maybe offered in his gospel more than he has to give. People think that they have not exactly realized what was predicted as the portion of the children of God. Like, hmm. I don't know, you know, some Christians like, I don't really feel like that when I read the word. I'm not quite really get so joyful when I'm worshiping. I don't know. It's kind of like, has it been oversold a little bit to me? I mean, that's a really weird thing to say, right? But sometimes that's, if we get down deep in our hearts, there's a little of that attitude lurking there. So she says, but why is this so? Has the kingdom of God been over-advertised or has it only been under-believed? Isn't that true? Has the Lord Jesus been overestimated or has he only been under-trusted? And I believe that's the case. Do we believe? Do we really believe? Do we exercise faith that God will fill us with joy when we don't seem to have it? Are we believing that he will give it? Will we go to him and ask him to stir up joy in our hearts? Or do we just get stuck? Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In believing. We must have faith. So by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. 1 Peter 1, 8 says, though you not, have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. There's faith again being exercised, and what follows, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Do you see how the belief has to be there, the trust has to be there, the faith has to be exercised? We need to exercise faith and trust him because he is trustworthy. We have faith because he is faithful. 
but we make excuses sometimes, girls. We do, we do. We tend to say things like, that's good for all those little optimist Pollyanna types, but that's not me. So I'm not sure I can be this like joyful, happy person, you know, joyful girl. You know, we, we do these personality type things and, and, and you know, I, I love listening to that a little bit. Kay Smith, actually, I found an old tape of hers on um, uh, one of the, the podcasts, one of the um, radio stations, and she talked a little bit about personality types. But I, but I love this because I was reading it in this other book and this woman used the idea of using the Winnie the Pooh characters to explain personality types. And I just had a laugh because we do that in our family. We have done that for years using the, you know, like all things A.A. Milne, right? Like, uh, you know, the Winnie the Pooh character. So no doubt about it, anyone who's met Bobby Hargreaves, he is absolutely Tigger. He is, at, he's like, you don't know what hit you when Bobby Hargreaves, yeah, just like Tigger, you're like, whoa, where did, whoa, whoa, what was that? Right? Bouncing, funny, joyful, even the way um, Tigger, woo right? Do you know that's the way Bobby talks to the grandchildren? I'm like, talk real words to the grandchildren. He's like, you know, just making, you know, he's Tigger. He's just so full, of, he's just so lively, so lively, always getting us into escapades, you know? I am rabbit. There's a right way to do this, and that's not it. It's my way, <laughs> right? A little preoccupied, a little uptight. And then there's Winnie, sweet Winnie. I think of Grace as Winnie. Everybody loves Winnie. Kind of goes along with everyone. Loves Tigger, loves Rabbit, loves them all. And then you got Eeyore. Oh, no one knows the trouble I've seen. <laughs> well, as long as you're asking. <laughs> right? Everything's blue and everything's glum. And oh, everyone I'm always forgotten, you know? And there are different people like that as well. Maybe a little bit of Eeyore in all of us. And we kind of hide behind that sometimes. And we think, well, it's great for the Tiggers, you know, and the Winnies. But us rabbits and us Eeyores, and maybe even that little piglet who's always a little bit afraid. Um, maybe joy's not for us. But you know what? It is. And will we believe that it is? You know, I love that uh, scene in Mark where that man comes with his demon-possessed child. And he says, if you can do anything about this, Jesus, if you can, if you can. He says, if I can, do you believe? Do you believe? And he said, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And I think that's where we need to do sometimes in this area of joy. I do believe, Lord. You can fill me with joy, but help my unbelief, Lord. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Believe that you have given access to joy. Number two, in order for that belief to grow, you need to be in the word, girls, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you're not consistently in the word of God, your joy, my joy, absolutely will wane because you can't muster it in yourselves. The word of God is a source of joy for us. Psalm 119, 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. See, are we in the word? The word reveals God. Now, you may say, 
I am in the Word. But right now I'm in the book of Leviticus and I'm really having a hard time. And you know what? I get it. We've all done that. I remember one of our, our pastors said, I thought this was so great. He said, sometimes you read the Word and you've done your devotions and you're not necessarily emotionally moved or anything, but it's all right because it's the water of the Word of God and it is cleansing you on a level you don't even know. And the Holy Spirit will bring it back into remembrance when you need that. But let me, a key for me that has really breathe new life in my devotions is, and I didn't realize he was even doing it, but I was reading the word of God saying, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with me? <laughs> you know, That's not the question. It's what does this have to do with God? What is this telling me about who he is? So suddenly when I read things like Leviticus, I said, wow, God is holy. God is a God of great holiness. When I read genealogies and chapters of names, I thought, you know, God cares about our lineage, cares about our family lines. He's a God of great detail. God is in the details of life. God cares about the legacy. God cares about people's names. Suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm getting caught up in who he is. I'm, God, you're so good. You care about even the names of my kids. You care about, wow. The word of God is to reveal his strength, his love, his wisdom, his faithfulness. It's all in there. His mercy, his grace, his kindness. When you open your Bible, say, God, show me who you are and how you do things. It builds our faith and we experience more assurance, which leads to more joy. Number three, are we worshiping? A lack of worship. Listen, there's tons of verses on this. You do your research. So many verses in Psalms about rejoicing and entering his presence with joy. Psalm 33, 1, all through the Psalms. Shout for joy to the Lord, O ye righteous. Praise befits the righteous and the upright. Psalm 63, 7, for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. If God inhabits the praises of his people, girls, and, and, and when we worship, he's there and in his presence, his fullness of joy, then when we worship, he is there and in his presence is fullness of joy. It's like an algebraic equation, right? It's flow, it's logical. Paul and Silas, worshiping in a prison cell, brought joy to that place. Joy to those prisoners, joy to that jailer. Number four, are you preaching the gospel to yourself? What I mean by this is reminding yourself of all that the Lord has done in saving you. Our salvation is the source of joy. With joy, it says in Isaiah 12, 3, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In Psalm 51, 12, it says, restore to me the joy of my salvation or of your salvation. Remember what he has done for you. Luke 10, 20, Jesus said to them, do not rejoice in this, that demons are cast out. Instead, he said, rejoice because your names are written in the book of life. Rejoice because your name today is written in God's book and no one can blot it out. No one. No circumstance. No accusation. Remember Isaiah 61, 3, it says, this is our salvation. To all who mourn in Zion, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. And the original um, Hebrew, is, when it says joy for ashes, it's a crown of joy. Crown of joy. A joyous blessing instead of mourning. Festive praise instead of despair. This is what our salvation is about. Don't ever, ever, 
ever grow weary of remembering this, the gospel. We never outgrow the gospel, girls. We need to preach the gospel always to others, but to ourselves as well. I am saved. I am set free. My sins have been washed away. I am just as if I never sinned. I've been set apart, sanctified, glorified in him. He has taken a wretch. Don't forget from where you came from. And remember what he has done. Preach the gospel. It is a source of joy. Oh, when you do that, you can't help but be joyful. Write it down in your journal. Say it out loud. Tell someone or speak it out in your car. <laughs> but joy will follow because there's we, we, I think of that ladening out joy from the wells of salvation. Number five, keep close accounts with him. What I mean by that, do not cherish sin in your life. Don't pet it. Don't make excuses for it. Confess daily your sins and be cleansed. Live a holy life, set apart, sanctified unto him. When Nehemiah and they dedicated that wall and they had the word read and they were convicted and they wanted to sanctify and dedicate themselves to God and say, no more sin, Lord, we're going to do it your way. They were weeping and wailing and there was almost sorrow in it. And there's a moment for that. In part, repentance, there is sorrow. Sorrow about what you've done, sorrow over the the choices we've made. However, the Levites and Nehemiah said, don't stop it now. Stop it now, they said. Dry your tears, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. In sanctification and dedication and commitment to God, there is joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And girls, Satan tries to attack that. In every movie, who's, who's the, the uptight, nasty one, right? The holy person. He wants us to believe that being holy is just somebody who walks around like they're baptized in lemon juice and just making everybody miserable because they're so holy. Sometimes we see that way, like, oh, if I'm a holy mom, you know, I've got to be really tough and really... No. Holiness is joyful. Be filled with joy. Be, be set apart for Jesus. But he, there is joy in his paths. Don't let Satan lie to you about that. Oh, I'm going to be a real killjoy. If I actually get right with God, no. You'll have more joy when you get right with God. When you confess your sin and cleanse. Psalm 97, 11 says, light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. I'm gonna go through quick, gotta get through quick. Okay, so, number six, are we thanking God? We talked about worship, but are you actually thanking God? I know Gracie said it's a little cheesy, but, is, but we've all heard it. Do you have an attitude of gratitude, right? Psalm 126.2 says, Then our mouths was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nation, The Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. I told you before about murmuring and complaining. These two things can't exist at the same time. Right? If your mouth is murmuring and complaining, then you're not being thankful. And murmuring and complaining is sin, but it also sucks the joy right out of a room, does it not? You know, you're having a good time, and then someone comes over and is like, ah, didn't you hear what happened? <laughs> there goes the joy. And unfortunately, I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to share, you know, just being very honest with you guys. You can come over and be honest with me later if you want, so I won't feel so bad about myself. <laughs> but um, years ago, I was coming home from work, and Tigger was home with the kids. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you know what that's all about. <laughs> fun, fun, fun. And so uh, Rabbit's coming home. That's me. And I was coming up the walk, and there was about four bikes and some, uh, you know, roller skates and, you know, a skateboard or two in the, in the driveway and, you know, coming through and I'm pushing things out of the way on the front lawn and, oh, that looks great. That looks great. That's a mess, you know. I come in, I'm tripping over backpacks, you know, dirt going up the steps, you know. And so they're all in the, the living room having a good old time with Tigger laughing and everything. And I came in and go, you know, am I the only one who knows how to crawl, close the garage door? And, you know, girls, the bikes, and, and Bob, you know, really, is this what they're eating? And, you know, and I came, you know, like I'm coming in, and he just looked at me, and the kids all looked at me, and my husband just went, ain't no sunshine when she comes. <laughs> And I was like, you know, nailed, right? I mean, I'm just like, he's got it right. I sucked that joy right out of that room. And boy, did I, it was like, he was great about my husband. He can disarm me with humor, you know? I was like, all right, all right, all right, okay. Complaining critical spirits, that's what we do sometimes. We suck the joy out of the room, you know what? The way we do that is we thank God. Shouldn't I have come in and said, thank God my kids have able bodies and legs and they can ride bikes. They're not in a hospital. I've been in the hospital with my children for extended periods of time. My daughter had a terrible accident when she was seven years old. Took a fall in our home over like a 14-foot drop. Broke all the bones in her face. Fractured her skull. Had to have reconstructive surgery. I mean, it was a nightmare. Instead of saying, thank you, Jesus, She's here to ride her bike. She can. Thank you, Lord, that I have a home to come to, messy as it may be. <laughs> I have a husband who loves his kids and makes them laugh. What about thanking God, right? It was a story about a little boy. His mom said, you got to say your prayers. He said, i got everything I need. I don't need, <laughs> I don't need to say prayers tonight, Mom. It would be wrong for me to ask for anything else. She said, well, why don't you just thank him? So we started thanking for his new car and his new little marbles and thanking for his mom and his dad and his siblings and his friends at school. And the next thing, he couldn't stop. He kept praying and praying. Now she's like, all right, come on, bedtime. Yeah. And finally he got up off his knees and he said, I forgot how perfectly splendid the Lord is. You know, we forget how perfectly splendid he is. There was an old man who had a kind of a crotchety old personality and he was challenged to start thanking God for things in his life and he took it seriously and he started to really develop that habit of thanking God in all circumstances and suddenly he was different. People started to notice, what is with you, man? You're different, you look different. I've seen this in women who have gone from grumbling spirits when they start to really purpose in their heart to be grateful women. They look different, they look prettier, they look younger. It's good beauty treatment. <laughs> Be grateful. Have a gratitude journal. And when they asked this old man, he said, well, I used to live on Grumbling Lane, and now I'm living in Thanksgiving Square. <laughs> and I wonder if we'll be challenged to move our address also, girls. Jesus gave thanks. He gave thanks, and after every thankful time, there was a miracle. When Jesus broke the bread, the Eucharist, Eucharisteo is the Greek word for giving of thanks. That's where we get our word Eucharist from, where we celebrate the communion, the breaking of bread, and the miracle of Jesus giving his life for us. The breaking of bread, and he gave thanks to the Father, and he fed the multitudes. The 
when Jesus looked up outside of Lazarus' tomb and said, God, I thank you that you always hear me. And he raised the dead. Thanksgiving precedes miracles. The miracle of making a woman of joy. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Number seven, Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled, be being filled daily with the Holy Spirit. In Acts, it told us that the believers were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. God wants us to be filled with his Holy Spirit we're sealed with the Holy Spirit at our salvation. We receive the Holy Spirit upon us as we ask God to fill us with his Spirit. But it's not a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's not even a once-in-a-year thing. It's a everyday thing. It's hour by hour at times. You know, I've shared, you know, knowing my temperament, you know, sometimes I used to say to the ladies at my body study, I said, I, I just pray in the Spirit even before I go in my house, you know, coming home from work. I'm, I'm, I'm fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord Jesus. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Lord, not my sweetness, your sweetness, Lord. Not your kindness, God. Not my kindness, your kindness. Not, not my patience, Lord, which is really lacking. Your patience, your joy, Lord. Your goodness, your faithfulness, your self-control, Lord. Fill me, Lord. And, you know, sometimes if someone saw me in the car, they'd be like, what is she going inside to? Like, who are these monsters she lives with? You know what I mean? But it's like, no, the monster is me. I mean, I know what I bring, right? We need our person, all that under the, the authority of the Holy Spirit. My sweet little Piper, I gotta have a few grandchildren, you know, stories. It's just part of the passage. But anyway, Piper, Piper Johanna, she is going to be three in January, and she's the youngest, and she rules the roost. We're all just kind of do what Piper wants us to do. And before every meal at home, Ashley was telling me, Piper has to be the one to pray. Even though she's an eight-year-old sister and a five-year-old sister. No, I pray, I pray. So she starts praying, and she just starts, she's very, she's very Pentecostal. She's like, <laughs> Graham and Jesus, <laughs> Pop-Up and Jesus, Lydia and Jesus, and Mommy and Jesus. But it's, Ashley's like, she's very the economy of words. She doesn't give a list to God. She just says, just put Jesus over that situation. <laughs> and I just love the simplicity of that, right? It's just, that's all we need. He is sufficient for every need. She doesn't have to get and tell God how to do it. Just put Jesus on that situation, Lord. I love that. I love it. He is enough. And finally, girls, the community of God. Oh, let's see if I brought some scriptures for that. I did at the last minute. I wanted to add the community of God. We are to take joy in the community God has given us. We did a little podcast yesterday with Alicia on, the, on what the church is and how the church is given to us. This community of believers is given to us as, for so many reasons, but part of it is that we might have joy among each other. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, what is our hope? Your verse here, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing before our Lord Jesus? Is it not you? Paul said that. Other believers were supposed to joy for Paul. In 1 Thessalonians 2.20, the next one, for you are our glory and our joy. 1 Thessalonians 3.9, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? 2 Timothy 1.4, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. He wanted to see other believers. He wanted to see Timothy, the fellowship, 
The community that God has given us is the source of joy. I know after not being able to gather for a season or not seeing as many people, what a joy it is after all this nonsense with COVID that we're able to gather together, see each other's faces, see each other's smiles, right? What a joy the community of God is for us. I hope that it is for you. And if it isn't, maybe we need to do a little business there. Maybe there's a lack of unity or bitterness or something. In Philippians, uh, Paul had to call out two ladies by name. I feel kind of bad for them, you know, that they got named. Ooh, you know? <laughs> Can you imagine when they were reading the letter? Oh, and Euodia and Syntyche. <laughs> Get it together over there. It's, it's reached the Apostle Paul's ears that you guys aren't getting along. How would you like that if, if, if uh, Pastor Zach came up here? And so, um, Susie and, yeah, <laughs> whoa, hot seat, you know. Okay, so, but God sees it all. And he said it's important because it's not just about you two not getting on. It can defile many. Talks about the root of bitterness can defile many, right? We have to keep short accounts in that way. Girls, ask God to help you heal relationships, have fellowship, have true fellowship because this family of God here, I hope all your biological families saved as well, but if they are not, that is actually just of this earth then, that family tie, unfortunately, and I hope that's not true because we're trusting God, right? Those salvations, but this is an eternal family that you have here. The ones who share the name of Jesus, we will be friends and sisters and we will share heaven together and we'll have all this time. I mean, I get a chance to get to know you personally here when I'm in Miami, but I'll get to know you in eternity because we're gonna have some time on our hands. We're gonna get to know one another and we'll get to know him better. What a joy that will be. So finally, I'm gonna end here with the application, the cultivation. We're back in our gardens, girls, and we've looked at the soil. And we've said, okay, God, this is where I'm at. I think this is kind of where I'm at. <clears throat> but now, through this list of eight things, we've said there's some unwanted materials maybe in my soil. There's a bit of unbelief here. Some ingratitude, the weed of ingratitude. There's maybe some bitterness, broken relationships. I gotta get rid of these. These have to be pulled out, God. And then that soil needs to be enriched and fortified with thanksgiving and faith, and worship, and preaching the gospel to myself, right? These things, and community. I hope that the Holy Spirit, and also the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and being filled with the Holy Spirit will enrich that soil so joy can be cultivated and growing and flourishing in your heart and mine. So I implore you even now as we close I'll end us in prayer. Take those few minutes in your book again now. And if there was anything you went, bingo. That's me a bit. I see myself in that. Maybe I'm a little bit of an Eeyore. And I've made an excuse for it. Acting like God can't deal with my personality type. Somehow he meant that promise for everyone else. But us little Eeyores, us little melancholy personality. No, no. No, no. We're not making excuses having faith that God can do joy even in me, regardless of my circumstances or the way I react to things in my life. There's ways that I can cultivate in the midst of these circumstances, things like thanking God, praising God, remembering that I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, that anything happening down here is the light and right momentary affliction 
that's working for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. I want you to just take a minute now and think about those things of how those obstacles can be removed in God and that soil can be enriched so faith and joy might grow in your heart. Lord, we thank you. Lord, for your word that's so clear to us that you have promised us joy, that you've come to bring us joy, that you impart joy by the Holy Spirit, and that you want us to know you better through your word so that our faith might grow, our assurance might grow, our trust in you might grow, so that we might be women of joy that shine your light in the midst of a dark world so filled with negativity and complaining and people cursing each other and division. And you came that we might be sources of your light and joy and love to this dark world, Lord. We want to be that. We want to be conduits of you, Lord. We want to reflect you as you reflected the Father that we might carry you into our worlds, Lord. So God, do a work in us, Lord. Thank you, you're so gentle, you're so kind, Lord. You don't blast us out of the water, but you do lovingly highlight things in our life that we can bring, and you will cleanse us and show us the better way. And we just thank you for that, in Jesus' name, amen.